This episode of From the Desk of Alicia Kennedy is brought to you by Gastro Obscura, a food adventurer's guide by Cecily Wong and Dylan Thuris from Workman Publishing. Tour each continent through the book's encyclopedic entries on some of the world's most interesting foods and places. Did you know that spam was illegal in South Korea until the 1980s? Learn about this and more in Gastro Obscura, a food adventurer's guide, on sale now. Hi, Paula. Thank you so much for taking the time today. Hi, thank you for having me. Can you tell me about where you grew up and what you ate? So I grew up both in the Dominican Republic and in um, New York City. Um, I'm a first generation American uh, Dominican. Um, so my parents um, spent three months out of the year in the Dominican Republic so that I had a connection with my grandmother. And then, you know, the rest of the year, they went through all of New York City exploring places like Chinatown, Little Italy, you know, K-Town and Flushing. I mean, there's also Chinatown and Flushing as well. Um, (laughs) And so forth, you know, like maybe I grew up eating more pierogies than your average Dominican kid. But I think my parents made sure that they um, kind of like instilled a love of food uh, so that I would have a love of people as well. So they kind of like made sure that they kind of um, disintegrated those like divisions that we have uh, mm-hmm. through food. When did you know that you wanted to pursue cooking professionally? Mm. Um, when I had an existential life crisis in high school. And yeah, I, I yeah. Oh, go ahead. No, you. Oh, sorry, go ahead. <laughs> You go, you go. Um, I, I'm fascinated to hear what happened. Oh, no, I didn't know that I had like anxiety and depression and stuff like that. Because, you know, um, for Latino or children of immigrants, um, they pretty much tell us that we're okay, yeah. you know. Because, um, I mean, they're too busy to really understand and know. Mm-hmm. Um, so when I wanted to pursue a career in arts, which was not the career they wanted me to have in the first mm-hmm. place. They wanted me to be an engineer, lawyer, or a doctor, or a teacher. They would have settled into a teacher. Um, but I wanted to pursue art. And then I realized, I was like, ah, if I am going to be successful in the arts sphere, I might have to pass away for somebody to notice me, mm-hmm. you know? And um, I was like, this is so morbid. I'm having an existential <laughs> life crisis. And I just went to culinary school instead, you know, yeah. from one art to the other art. Exactly. I, both yeah. equally unpaid. <laughs> um, you know, you went, did you go to CIA? Which culinary school did you go to? La Cordon Bleu, actually. Oh, cool, cool. And um, mm-hmm. so what was that like? Why did you decide pastry over savory cooking? I didn't. didn't. <laughs> I, uh, I'm a savory. I'm, I'm actually a savory chef oh, cool. classically trained. Um, and then I self-taught myself how to do all my pastry work. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And what, what made you move from, from what your training was in, in classic savory cooking toward, toward pastry? Well, I, I didn't have, um, too much of a culinary school. They looked, they gave me like one up and down and like a counselor, I guess, maybe, I don't know. Um, she was like uh yeah you're not gonna survive in pastry um you're never gonna get a job uh so you might as well just learn culinary to see if you can get hired you know as a prep cook or something Mm -hmm. and I was like wow cool thank you so much for the inspirational talk um now I'm thousand dollars like thousands of dollars in debt uh and I will never get hired uh but she wasn't wrong (laughs) 
that's the crazy part about it is like when I went um, and like I couldn't find jobs in Orlando so I moved back to New York um, and um, like I didn't have like the greatest time you know um, they would tell me I, I would have all the qualifications to be promoted to do these things to be a sous chef but I just didn't fit the bill um, I was too little or too soft-spoken or you know not commanding enough you know I wasn't a pro and I never had any intentions of becoming a pro um I just was a wallflower within the industry and you know I had I still do I'm like freezing right now but I have soft and small cold hands that are great for pastry work um so they would put me in the pink dungeon uh, what we would call it back then and um you know back then it was like 2008 2009 so it wasn't like a lot of desserts were coming out of the kitchen in the first place you know maybe you would have a wonton wrapped fried banana yeah. you know with whipped cream and they're like delicious uh, a la carte you know and I'm like, okay. yeah but um I found my husband um well back then he wasn't my husband but um I was like damn I, I want to date this dude uh but I'm always working until three four in the morning and for a long time he would come and pick me up and he would um make sure that we had dates after my long shifts um he was a college student went uh to CCNY uh both undergrad and graduate school and um throughout his whole like education uh he was just watching me work you know um and I figured I was like, damn, you know what I mean? Like, if I really want to be with this guy, he's going to get tired of picking me up at three, four in the morning once he gets a real job. So I switched into pastry. I asked uh, Chef Jacques Torres, like, can you just take me in? Like, I've done all of this work, you know? Um, a lot of the chefs, they don't really want to hire me to be like a CDC or executive sous or, you know, I'll be junior sous at best, mm-hmm. you know? Um, once I got a, a sous chef job, <laughs> that was fun. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was a union job and I, I maxed out of the hours and the union didn't want to take me. Wow. So um, so I Jacques was like, what school did you go to? You know, and I was like, you know, I could give you my resume. I can do this. And he's like, what school did you go to? And I was like, Le Cordon Bleu. He's like, when can you start? And I was like, are you serious? <laughs> For real? Like, you don't care about what I know? Yeah. He's like, no. Uh, so that opportunity kind of like, was a real blessing in disguise because like I one is Mr. Chocolate you know um for the kids nowadays who are Gen Zers are are probably listening to this that's Mr. Nailed It uh if you don't know (laughs) now you know um (laughs) not that I watch like I'm sorry I gotta watch the show but you know um (laughs) but um he kind of like taught me everything and I realized I had lightning in a bottle with this situation um I was with one of the best pastry chefs in um New York you know and he introduced me to the whole world of like food and wine and food network and all of that stuff that I never even had like uh, an idea of what what it was like literally in culinary school I my joke was they were like what are you going to do with your culinary degree and I was like become a housewife I don't know you know what I mean and they're like why are you here and I'm like I'm just I'm not sure if I'm ever going to make it out because no, like my counselor told me that I'm never gonna get a job you know so it's like um yeah anyways I digress I'm sorry no that was great <laughs> no um it's it I can't believe your guidance counselor told you that that's horrifying um but 
you you did you grew up in New York City and you moved to DC and that in DC it seems like that's where you've really blown up um, as a pastry chef and I wanted to ask what it was like moving to a different city. I feel like New Yorkers are very provincial sometimes, <laughs> very attached to New York. Um, I'm from Long Island, but I lived in in New York for a long time. And um, yeah, I wanted. What was the experience like of of moving to DC? Well, I, I uh, for all intents and purposes, like I had just reached like what some folks would um, have considered like. A really big milestone in my career. I was promoted mm -hmm. to uh, pastry sous chef with Jacques Torres, um, and I, you know, it took four months. Like, and then he was like, "You are very nice and very special, and you're hardworking." And I don't understand how you haven't been promoted before. So he gave me a promotion. I was like the youngest sous chef in his company, but um, my husband got a government job, you know. And you know, when you grow up as children of immigrants, you know. You, we don't have choices like that, you know, like when you have the opportunity to have stability and, you know, long-term success. Um, and Hector, my husband had sacrificed so much during his like undergrad and graduate programs, you know, that why wouldn't I sacrifice for him, you know? So I, I just kind of like told Jacques and Hockey, I was like, I'm so sorry, I gotta go. And they're like, are you kidding me? You know, who's gonna help us and I was like god I don't know you know what I mean like but I, I went and I actually didn't have a great time in DC at first I um, didn't get jobs that paid more than $13 an hour um, and that was for years you know I would apply for um, chef jobs and they would see me walk through the door and tell me you know the position has been filled and as soon as I would go back online the position was still available um, it's kind of hard because like I, I present speaking wise uh, in a very different tone. Like I don't always sound like I'm from the Bronx, you know, I do because I do use like slang, <laughs> but yeah. like my voice is very like passive, you know, um, but everything else about me is not very passive. Like I'm not like your typical Latina. I'm not like somebody that's just like, on Univision or Telemundo, you know what I mean? Like I never got the opportunity here. Um, mm -hmm. And I had worked at jobs that just weren't paying me a living wage, you know? Um, yeah. And I figured that maybe this was it, this was my life, you know? And DC now has been very kind, but only because I like kind of like presented one of the job interviews. I was like, please don't turn me away. I, I, I can't, I can't go through another one of these processes and back then I was going through probably one of the darkest times of my life um and I told the chef I was like please just look at my Instagram look at what I can do don't judge me by how I speak or how I look or what like what you think I can bring to the table just see what I can actually bring to the table and I had built up my Instagram profile as a portfolio as opposed to like my meme collection mm -hmm. which I guess now it's a meme collection again mm -hmm. but um and I showed like what I could do and um I was like if you give me the opportunity I will represent your company and I will make sure that I work diligently and, and I'm creative and we can work together in tandem to get written about whatever you know whatever you can mm -hmm. offer I can take you know 
Um, and he hired me that day, you know. Um, I don't think that interview was going the right way in the first place. But he, he, he wrapped it up. He was like, okay, I'll call you for whatever. And I was like, please, just a second, you know. <laughs> Yeah. But that's the boldest I've ever been in my whole life, you know, and until that point, like I've not, I've not the, the loud voice that you see now. I was very shy back then. Mm-hmm. And um, that job, I took, I took the bull by the horns, basically. And I like, was like, let's do this. You know, I think I made like 194 or 97 desserts that year. Um, wow. And I tried to tailor it specifically to the Mid-Atlantic within Greek and Italian cuisine infusing Latinx or Latin flavors you know so um, a lot of people assume that my success has been um, overnight Um, right damn it's not you know (laughs) (laughs) it hasn't been I've been working in this industry since 15 and now it's finally where somebody's like oh hey good job you know and I'm like I'm so burnt out I want to go home you know (laughs) so I mean, that's the thing about success is it really, uh, your story will be cut off. Uh, like the point at which people know who you are is when people will start to believe that you be- were born, basically. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it, it is hard. You know, I was reading all about you. Like I was reading all the stories about you. And I, I don't think I was getting this picture that you're giving me right now about how, how much you worked until this point to get to where you are and now and now you're a huge success and it's I just wish I do wish that more you know there was more of that um story (laughs) I you know and um but there's been so much focus on you know as you mentioned before you called the the pastry kitchen the pink dungeon and pastry chefs do tend to be ignored um and but you you really have this innovative aesthetic you have such a great personality that you bring through to social media and also to pastries with paula and i you know but you've also gotten so much attention for bakers against racism for your doña dona project when did you realize that you could use your pastry skills to you know help other people to raise money and and why was that important to you um so for me, I think um, it goes back down to like my mom teaching me like um, values on how to give, how to exist, how to be a member of society. Um, my mom really taught me like if we had $3 to our name that we would um, give away one, right? And mm-hmm. that she always did that because she was very community-minded. My grandmother was very community-minded. Um, my abuela would invite everyone from the neighborhood um, and by neighborhood, I mean the town because it's not a big town. Um, and if you were in need or if you needed a moment to be with someone, if you felt alone, if you felt sad, if you were going through something, if you were celebrating something, it didn't matter. Or if you just wanted to stop by and you were passing through a cacao and you wanted to have a, a quick meal with us, a cup of coffee, she always had extra food to get, you know. She really believed, um, my family grew up very poor and, and we're still very um, humble people, you know? Um, 
but my mom, especially with my, my grandparents, grew up with nothing, you know, like we, we had a well, we had a few trees in the back that would give us platano and, you know, and if we had some chickens, we would ch- sell those eggs to, to the market, right? Mm-hmm. Um, instead of using it to feed them themselves, right? So that's the stories that I grew up with. Um, but m- one thing that I never saw was my grandmother hoarding whatever she had. She would always give it away you know, um, and she would tell me it would be replenished, you know, if I give, it'll come back, right, um, so for me, like, very early on, like, I knew I had to give, and giving was something that was a part of my family, a part of, well, my mom and me, um, <laughs> I don't know if you go to my other family members, if they would give, um, but I hope they are giving, uh, if you're <laughs> listening to this, give more if you're not giving, um, but, um, you know, we, my mom grew up a single mom, you know, um, in the Bronx with me, we were, she was just 30 when she had me, um, and she was alone, this was her first time in a country by herself, um, a biochemist, you know, who had to work in factories, work in the industry, in the culinary industry, never using her degree ever again, you know, um, and yet she found time to give, you know, give to the community, give to her neighbors, give to her friends, give, 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 and, um, when it was my turn, you know, I was a broke New York line cook, you know, and I, back then I wasn't getting paid $13 an hour. That was like the, the dream was to come to D.C. and get paid $13 an hour. I was getting paid eight, seven dollars an hour, most of the time six, because a lot of people thought that they could get away with uh, wage theft um, and not paying minimum wage. Um, but regardless of that, I knew I had time. And my time and my resources were a currency. Um, and I would bake in soup kitchens. I would cook. I would um, make packaged meals for uh, kids in Williamsburg that were in daycares and pre-K and kindergarten. And um, those kids, they did not have food through the weekend, you know, food for dinner. You know, they had two square meals a day, but then they would go home and not eat. So. I was doing programs where I was just packing food, delivering food. I would cook with the girls and teach them a life skill um, on Tuesdays and Saturdays so that they perhaps would see me and be like, oh, I could do a trade. I don't have to be a genius, right? Um, So when people see my activism work, they're like, oh, you know, she just one day woke up and was like, I'm going to bake. And I was like, yeah, I wish that was now, you know. I was, I was doing little uh, fundraisers in Williamsburg way back in the day, just trying to buy feminine products for the girls that I was cooking in the community with um, and for. But I think um, there's a lot of power in food and uh, mm-hmm. a lot of power. For me, at least, it's a way to um, kind of like hold a time capsule of my grandmother who's no longer on earth um, and just everything that she was able to teach me. Um, I think I'm probably one of the only people in my family who actually know her recipes, um, Mm -hmm. which is like awe-inspiring and very scary at the same time. Um, Because if something happens to me, that's it. My family lineage is is done, you know? So. Mm -hmm. (laughs) 
Well, one thing I really love about your work, especially with your new food and wine series, is that, and, and now I, I understand more that you used to teach kids, and now I understand, <laughs> but you, you, you are so good at teaching people and making like approachable things that people think are super complicated, like tempering chocolate or making homemade sprinkles. And, you know, is, how are you kind of making, how, how do you do that? How do you translate like the talents and skills of a restaurant pastry chef to the home cook, especially when people are, people are so, you know, touchy about baking. Like every, so many people I'll talk to and they're like, I love to cook, but I am a terrible baker and they just are so afraid. But you really, how do you get people over that? And because I think you, you do such a good job of translating these, these things that we think are complicated. Um, I think for the most part, I, I just want people to feel what I feel, right? Because like, um, I took two pastry classes in culinary school. That's it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like I got A's on them. But mm-hmm. I'm not making a Saint Henri anytime soon, you know yeah. what I'm saying? But, <laughs> um, but like, but like um, I, I don't know. Like I, I, my thing is like in the kitchen. Like the kitchen is a, a place for all misfits, for all folks who are down and they um, need some help getting back up. You know, so I don't expect CIA students to walk through the door. I really don't expect them to give them the pastry, especially um, if anything, they get hoarded over to savory. Um, So a lot of folks that are working with me aren't folks that are like career professionals like I am or folks that know all the techniques, but I have to figure out a way to um, make it easy and make it easy for them so that I'm proud of them and that uh, we're doing something beautiful together and that you know it's not a like it's not a situation like if they're not doing like these beautiful piping techniques man that's beautiful either way put it on the plate you know (laughs) because at the end of the day like if they're not happy working with me if they're not happy um and they don't feel valued and then it doesn't matter like my ego can take a a a bench you know what I mean like I know how to do all these things, but not everybody is me. And that once I figured that out, um, I realized that I had to have the same grace that I have for the community when I give. There's the same grace that I have to have for the pastry world when I teach. And then also the same for home bakers, you know? I think that a lot of people, they're so afraid because so many people are like, baking is a science, this and that. You can't mess up. And I'm like, nah, man, you know how many times you fried that chicken? That joint is messed up. You know what I'm saying? Like, so, <laughs> so people have like the same like adaptability to like make rice and make it bad and still mm-hmm. eat it. And why not pastries, right? So right. I break it down in a way that's a little simple. I do feel like a lot of people think that Pastries of Power is like a kid's show. I'm sorry, I don't know how to change my voice. Maybe we'll put like a voice mod- like module that will be like, hello, this is Pastries of Power. Um, maybe that'll help like adultify the, yeah. uh, the content. Um, but um, it's just one of those things where I, I just want people to feel like they can do some things for their friends, families, and all the stuff that I get tagged in, it's like, it's as if I were making it, you know? Um, And I think one thing that I I love the most is that um, you can see in our, like, if you ever see, like, the end of our videos, um, I don't gussy it up. I don't 
put it as if it were a restaurant quality, like you're about to take a, a, a magazine spread photo shoot mm-hmm. of the picture of this product, right? I make it as if I'm like, no, look, this joint look weird too. So even <laughs> have fun, you know? And like, I think that kind of gives people like that breath of like, re- like relief, right? Because right. pastry should be fun. You should use them yeah. to celebrate or to cope. Um, and I hope more people can bake and more people start to approach baking. How do they share these recipes in a more tangible, realistic way? Also, I don't mm-hmm. have like 70 bowls in my kitchen. So I don't know, yeah. like, <laughs> like, I don't know where these like influencers are getting all these bowls from. <laughs> what? I need to figure out how to, how to do this in one bowl. I'm in a one bedroom apartment, you know, but that's neither here nor there. No, it's really funny. I was thinking that the other day because some cookware company was like, hey, can we send you some pots and pans? I'm like, no, because I don't have, I have pots and pans and I don't need it anymore. Like, where am I going to put them? Like, Mm -hmm. I already have like my kitchen extends into the living room. Like, I I can't, I can't, no, I can't. Thank you, but no. (laughs) I have like under my dining room table because we have like a little dining room table. I'm pretty sure we're not supposed to because my apartment's so small. Um, but underneath it, it's like like crusade pots, like two kitchenets, and and I'm just like I have to stop saying yes to these things. <laughs> like, they're like, hey, do you want this pot and pan? And I'm like, oh sure, whatever, send it. And I'm like, why? Oh no, <laughs> I have one mouth. I have two hands, one mouth. You know what I mean? Like. But thank you, everybody yeah. who's ever sent me anything. Thank you so much. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're you're a food and wine best new chef now, so I think there are there will be more. I think offers coming your way for for that kind of thing. How was it? How was the experience of going? You were in Aspen, right? Yeah, Is, yeah. you're still doing it there. Um, how was that experience? Um, I feel like I have always wanted to go to Aspen. Uh, and now that I've gone, I think that it's a great experience, like a check mark, you know, like yeah. if I ever get to travel to Mars, right? Like I think I would go once and then be like, wow, I can't breathe over there. So I might as well stay in Earth, <laughs> you know, <laughs> but um, I am very much like aware of I'm too old for it. Like I'm about to be 31 and I'm too old to like want to be in spaces that aren't for me, you know, um, and I just I don't know, like especially after this global pandemic. I'm just trying to be doing things that make me happy and comfortable yeah. and where I could see like-minded individuals, whether or not they look mm-hmm. like me together. I will say that the class, we are very like-minded. My whole, even the 2020 class, Kush Shah did such a spectacular job at like, like getting us all together and like grouping us together. Um, I've interacted with like Tavelle and Lena before um, and in my class like I knew almost my whole class and it was really fun to just kind of like be together and like experience this together and know that perhaps if you've gone through something before I can give like you can give me advice and vice versa and I think that a lot of the chefs beforehand weren't doing that you know what I'm saying like they were all fighting each other and like a global pandemic really had to teach us like ain't nobody fighting you I don't care if you win (laughs) if you succeed I'm trying to succeed too and we can both do it at the same time you know a garden is only beautiful when there's a multitude of flowers but I think back in the day it was just like this competition 
And right. I think that's why there's so many competition food shows because yeah. it was just all about winning and like the one person dominating them all. And now it's like, I look at my class and we want all of us to succeed and all of us to have the most successful time. And it's very uh, drawing because I've been in this industry since I was 15. So I know exactly what was going on 15 years ago. Well, that's more than that now. <laughs> But (laughs) it is, it is a, I think it's an honor, you know, Um, but I think more so less about me and more so about the opportunities that will happen for those that are coming after. Right. I think that that's really the biggest part of it. Right. It's like, I, I understand what it means for me. Right. But maybe it'll be now this year and then next year it's over, you know, and that's okay. Um, But if somebody this year sees me and hires, you know, an Afro-Latino from the Bronx, maybe, right? That person will have a chance at this too. Yeah. Yeah, My friend Pax was a best new chef a few years ago. That was fun. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Going Mm -hmm. to the party. Um, (laughs) But yeah, it's a lot of competition in food. I know the James Beard Foundation announced new rules today about the chef competition and I mean for me personally I was a little bit like well why just why just no more competition (laughs) why don't we just have rethink this whole thing about someone being the best and and that sort of thing um but we'll see what happens (laughs) yeah Um, I don't think I'm the best in anything you know um my husband's always like huh and I'm like I I just (laughs) I'm all right you know um (laughs) I think though I'm I'm the best when I'm with my teams, you know. Yeah. And yeah. whatever it is, whether it's with food and wine, like my team over there is like really like we're all just in tandem. And whenever something is going on, whenever we need to do something or reach an audience, you know, um, we talk about it, you know. And I tell them, I'm like, look, I'm not putting something on a double boiler. I'm going to use a microwave because who has that many bowls? Like, seriously, who has that many bowls? I want to know. I want to find whose house in New York City, in D.C., has, like, 20 bowls. Right, right. Make it make sense, you know? No, I have to be more conscious of, of, I think I've tried to be, I'm like, uh, I've done a few recipes lately where it's, you just need a pan and a whisk and, and Mm -hmm. that's, that's it. And so I'm, I'm trying to be more conscious of that, especially because moving to San Juan, I didn't realize like, and I should have realized, but having an oven isn't standard here. Like I'm lucky to have an oven. So I, I'm like, now I'm like, oh boy, I have to rethink everything. (laughs) Um, Yeah. Yeah. My um, love- husband's, oh, go ahead. No, oh, go- my husband's um, abuela, you know, she uses the oven as like storage. So yeah, yeah, it's yeah. always really <laughs> funny, you know, what what you find. Like, I'm like, oh, I'm going to bake you a cake. And then I turn everything on. And she's like, no, Paola, wait. No. And I'm like, oh, oh, no, there's like stuff in here. Why is there paper in here? You know what I mean? So. <laughs> no but I did I love that you you made tamarind jelly candy in one of your Mm -hmm. videos and in that caption on Instagram you talked about supporting your local Latin market by but Mm -hmm. you bought a brand we all know which brand whose politics no one approves of anymore and so um but I wanted to ask because you know you're working with a lot of the tropical fruits like how do you approach 
sourcing ingredients in a way that like balances you know accessibility and and you know supporting the kind of companies and 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 sourcing that we want to sort support <laughs> yeah. um so what's funny is like i have been going into like any new spices that i buy are either la fe or companies like um oh no now i forget the name oh <laughs> They're really nice. They're like made in New York. Um, Burlap and Barrel. Oh no, no. Eat Louisa. Yeah, them. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and like uh, I, I've been making that shift. But even when I started like protesting um, my use of that product, which we will not name, I told people <laughs> I was like, "Don't throw it out. Use it." You yeah. know. Yeah. I don't know actually because like the big adobo lasts a long time. Yeah. But. I was like, don't throw it out because food waste is a thing. And like, there's so many people, like even in the Bronx that don't have the money to buy Sasson, you know, let alone have access to which brand are they going to buy? You know, it's mm-hmm. just whatever yep. brands on sale. Um, but here in the DMV area, we have something uh, similar with our uh, kind of like Salvadorian Guatemalan community um, where, you know, it would be so uh detached from the actual reality of what our Latino immigrants are going through if I were just like don't buy this protest (laughs) that you know and like or I'm like clean your cubby and start over like what like yeah my mom wouldn't be able to do something like that when I was growing up you know so when I walk into my local market you know and I try to find all of my local Latino markets um and I go to H Mart and I I try very seldomly to go to like the bigger name um companies because it's just something that I've done and also like I can find better platanos where I like yeah you know like if if y'all are uh not in uh, a region where there's a lot of Latinos. Try your H Mart. They be having platanos in there. You know what I'm saying? Like it's a it's a gem. Um, but um, I walked in for this shoot, and I had any time that there's like super specialty items, I just go and buy it myself because I know where to buy them because I'm actually like supporting these brands and these com- like the communities around me, and. Um, I went in and to be honest, I had two packets. There was two packets of tamarind left. And I was like, oh my God, what what, what time of the year is it? And I was like, oh, it's the beginning of summer. They're making agua frescas. And I was like, I didn't think. <laughs> but it was two packets. One was the brand that we're not going to name. And then another one was La Fe. And when they, we had our uh, recipe tester make sure that the final recipe was done correctly, because you know, what I ha- might have on my notepad might not translate well to digital, right? Uh, yeah. So there's somebody that tests each and every version just so that I feel comfortable. I could see the results of somebody that's not my hands because I could probably be like, yeah, step one. And then I'm like, oops, step four, <laughs> you know, and then I miss yeah. steps two and three. And I'm thinking it's common sense, logical for the home baker to understand that you're going to put something like this and do this and but I, I don't always think that way. But she used the La Fe. And I was like, no, you know. And I was like, oh, my gosh, you know. And I was like, oh, no. Oh, no. You know. And we tried our best. Like, we held it. And we tried to cover it. But right in the, like, the little sidelines, you could see it. And I was like, damn. You know. And I was like, you know what, though? It's okay. Because I still supported yeah. my local Latino market. And 
sometimes if this is easier for them to buy, or let's say if that certain particular brand is going through a hard time because all of us are mm -hmm. protesting and they lower the rate of how to acquire this product, there is literally a owner that is making yeah. this decision like this is cheaper and I can feed, you know, my children, I could put them through college if I do this, right? So I feel like there's it's so complicated because yeah, you can make these stands, but sometimes like the community that you're doing this can suffer and it can impact them, you know? Especially where no, it's not sure. so many, there's not a lot of here. It's not New York, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. No, no, I, yeah, I, I live in San Juan, obviously, but I live in old San Juan and we don't have like a good grocery store at all. Mm -hmm. And so when I'm working on something and I'm using a lot of coconut milk, sometimes I end up using their coconut milk. It's like, they're, yeah. well, and it's better than me, you know, getting a car and going to out to, <laughs> and, you yeah. know, going out, you have to make all these different, um, mm -hmm. complicated decisions every single day. Um, one thing I wanted to ask you because I'm just, I'm, I, you have such a great presence on Instagram and you do a ton of like AMAs with, and you're like so engaged with your followers. And I'm like, how does she do it? How does she do it? How does she have that energy and that like, but you know, what, what keeps you being so generous with your audience and, you know, does it take a lot of energy? Oh yeah. It takes so much energy. Um, <laughs> I, it's yeah. very taxing. Um, especially when like cause behind the scenes you folks don't see like all the mean stuff you know um yeah. and sometimes I'm like should I make a joke about this but never mind you know what I mean I'm like yeah, yeah I, won't, I won't give them the time of day <laughs> but um but I think like there's so many people that just haven't seen somebody like me in this space you know um and I want them to remember that I'm not this like figure in the sky you know yeah. Like you didn't know my story. A lot of my followers yeah. do, um, because I just share it. I'm like, hey man, yeah. like when I when I tell people I'm from the Bronx, like I'm not joking. Like it's not a joke. Yeah. It's not a punchline. Like, <laughs> I'm like, I uh, know. I went to Taft. You know what I mean? Like, I I I grew up in the Bronx. I grew up next to the Stelladora factory before it was gone. You know, like, mm -hmm. so it. I think like I engage with them in that way. Um, I try to make myself um, available to a point, you know, because yeah. I'm not always on. I'm not always doing them. Uh, um, I try to answer DMs and, you know, comfortably if it's like uncomfortable that I'm like, why are you doing this to me? And maybe I might respond like, why are you doing this to me? You know, and yeah. they're like, oh, I'm sorry. I didn't know. Like somebody told uh, someone won't name so that nobody like looks it up but they were like give paula's abuela a knuckle sandwich and i was like my abuela's dead you know what i mean like she might give you a knuckle sandwich stop playing with her you know so like i it's like very interesting how to navigate this world but i yeah. i think i don't know i just do it and then when i can't i can't um i stopped doing method mondays because i was just really exhausted um, yeah. And I was running out of things to do. I mean, I had more things, but they were starting to get more complicated and more technique driven. And I was like, oh, wait a minute. <laughs> I need to slow my horses down before I burn out, you know. And then I've actually started to uh, say no to recipes. You know, a lot of people yeah. be like recipe. And I'm like, no, you know, <laughs> so they're like, oh, brother, this guy stinks, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. <laughs> 
but no it yeah it's such a hard thing to navigate and i think i've uh i don't have as big an audience as you obviously but i even just with the small amount of people it's like the audacity that people have sometimes in what they say and making fake accounts or something just to call Mm -hmm. i mean it for speaking for me to call me a bitch and i'm like (laughs) what what did I do? Um, and it's just really hard to navigate. And I think people aren't, like you said, if you tell people, hey, why are you doing that? And they they realize you're a person, that yeah. they need to have better boundaries online. But a lot of people, for some reason, don't don't really understand that the corollary, corollary to real life um, from no, I don't in think their so. phones. I don't think they you know? care. I don't no. think they care either. They want the escape, you know? Yeah. And, and them I'm this wonderkind you know what I mean like I'm just 13 and I'm yeah. not 31 you know what I'm saying like yeah. I'm I am this person that had everything given to them so I I let yeah. them believe whatever that is that they want I know my story I know what I've gone yeah. through I know what it took mm-hmm. to get here and the sacrifices um that I have to face to get to where I am um so I find peace in all of that, you know, and I yeah. just because I, I go through like a moment, like if it's a really like hard moment, I'll pull that person to the side. And I'll be like, yo, let's call each other. We need to have a talk, you know, and they're like, yeah. what? And I'm like, no, I need to call you because I think that what's going to happen next is going to turn into like this rivalry or beef. And I don't got time for it. So you're going to feel even more offended when I don't respond to you. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So. So literally, I'll just be like, look, this is how it makes me feel. If I, if you can, don't, you know what I mean? Right. And if you do, moving forward, understand you don't have my blessing. And that's yeah. it, you know? Yeah. And a lot of stuff gets squashed, you know? I, I think yeah. a lot of my, my beefs get avoided because I'm still very much so a, a middle-aged millennial, you know? And, <laughs> <laughs> and I'll call somebody. I'll be like, you need to get on the phone with me right now, you know? Yeah. And they're like, are you crazy? I'm like, yeah, come on, let's talk. Let's talk this through <laughs> before we start going on this rivalry, you know? Because I don't yeah. have the stamina to do that. I got to answer questions. <laughs> so, but. That's that's great. Because, it, yeah, it's I, I need some of that because um, I can get I've, – I've tried to temper it, but I can be a little – nasty in my responses to people and sometimes it doesn't go well um so I need to learn a lesson from you (laughs) no I mean so like um I I just tell people like what it is like I'm like this is what it is this is how I feel Mm -hmm. you know you're entitled to your feelings and if you if you think I'm hot garbage then I'm always gonna be hot garbage to you um but another man's trash is another man's (laughs) treasure you know what I mean so (laughs) right (laughs) Well, um, for you, is cooking a political act? Inherently, I don't think so, right? Like, because mm-hmm. I still, like, if when I cook white rice, like, to pair with my rice and beans, like, that's not a political statement. But right. also, like, when you start thinking about it, like, yeah, maybe it is, right? Like, how did we get rice to the Dominican Republic, to Latin America, to all of the Caribbean nations that, you know, are of the diaspora? How did we do that, right? Like, so there's like it's a fine line between sustenance and like just history right and um just because um rice has a um you know history doesn't make it left-leaning or right-leaning right right um but i think that if we stop shying away from what food means to our cultures um 
And like I said earlier, for me, it's a time capsule. All my recipes, everything that I do is um, setting up the stage for those that are coming after me, right? Um, so while obviously like me baking a pie isn't like me raging against the machine or baking against the machine, <laughs> like I like to say, um, which is so funny because this is how I say it. When I'm typing, I'm like baking against the machine. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> it's like super ironic, but people like understand. Um, I hope they do. If, if bakers, if you're listening to this, I still love you. Yeah. But, um, but um, I think that there are so many things that um, are political about food, access to food, right? Access to capital to make food um, right. is very political. Um, what is deemed appropriate to eat and not appropriate to eat? Like, I personally can't go around saying that I like to eat a certain type of fruit because of the connotations that are implicitly implied for, for people that look like me, right? Like, it's just like insane, but this is the reality that we live in. Um, I think for me, uh, my trade, how I manipulate food into a political act in baking or raising funds or, you know, doing what I do with Bakers Against Racism is what I do because I'm not a trust fund kid. I don't have money, you know what I mean? I, barely, I still got my student loans. Sally, if you want to cancel them, I'm here for you, girl. <laughs> cancel my student loans. Um, but but I don't think that, like, it is one of those things where it's just, like, super black and white. I think food is a gray area of, of happiness and sadness and anger of us being picked up and dropped off with against our will. And now I speak Spanish, you know what I'm saying? Like... Like, it's just one of those things where I, I don't think that a lot of us understand the full scope of what food is, but I think historians um, in the future will use that, those recipes and food to track our people and track who we are and why we are the way that we are. Right. Thank you so much for your time today. Thank you for having me. <laughs>